I welcome you to East Columbus Christian Church. We're in week number three of this series that I'm calling Jesus in the Old Testament. And the idea of this series is to take a look at what might be some of those passages in Scripture in the Old Testament that we didn't really realize were references to Jesus because I think it's important for us as believers to see Jesus all the way through the Bible, not just in the New Testament, but all the way through the Bible. Some people stay away from the Old Testament because it's confusing to them. They look at the Old Testament and maybe there are some stories that they don't understand. There are some names that are difficult to pronounce. Have you ever been going through the, the Old Testament and you're like, you know, you just don't quite understand the names that are in there and what, how to pronounce them? Reminds me of a story that I heard about a young preacher in Fort Worth, Texas. And the way I hear it, he was trying to make an impression on a pastoral search team who had come to his church to hear him preach. And the young man was preaching in the Old Testament about how God had had enough of his disobedient people and finally said to them, Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. However, as the young preacher was preaching his hardest, he said to the congregation, Church, if you don't obey God, if you don't listen to God, if you don't follow God, do you know what God will say to you? He will say, Michelob. And they all did the exact same thing. And now I don't know if he got the job or not, but he was certainly embarrassed. He did his best to try to finish the sermon. He, it depends on the kind of church he was trying to get, I guess, uh, as to whether they liked what he said. But anyway, some people stay away because it's confusing and they don't know the names. And, and some people say, I prefer the, Old, or the New Testament over the Old Testament because the God of the Old Testament seems so angry while the God of the New Testament is more about love. Uh, I'm troubled by what I heard one United States megachurch pastor say one time. I'm not going to mention his name, but it really troubled me what he said. He said that we should unhitch Christianity from the Old Testament because the Old Testament creates a lot of impediments to belief for contemporary people. I certainly don't agree with that approach at all. Uh, as the great theologian Augustine once said about Scripture, in the Old Testament, the new is concealed, in the new, the old is revealed. Dr. John Frederick put it this way, without the old, we cannot understand the new, and without the new, we have an incomplete understanding of the old. And so these two great books that are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God work in tandem to give us what we need to learn as much about God as we possibly can learn. And that brings us to this week's story in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers is the fourth book in the Old Testament, and it gets its name because, have you ever wondered that? Why the book of Numbers? Why is it called that? You know, you're going through these, these things. It's like it's kind of an odd name for a book. Well, at the beginning of the book, God had wanted the Israelites to count all of their people. So basically, God was taking a census of his people, and that's where a lot of these stories come from is throughout that time. And it's in chapter 21 of this book that we get a glimpse of, of Jesus, another glimpse of Jesus, and it's an obscure glimpse, uh, but, but it certainly rings true uh, with who Jesus is, who he was to uh, the Israelites at that time, who he is to us now, and who he is for all time. But in chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse 4, here's what it says. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route of the Red Sea to go around Edom. 
But the people grew impatient on the way, and they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. I'm going to stop right there. I'm not sure. Can you imagine saying something like that? God has provided this food for you, and you're going to say, God, we detest what you have done provided for us now I don't know I remember growing up whenever I when mom and dad would put food in front of me and I said I don't like it I'm not gonna that usually didn't end well for me and and this is a lot bigger scope than than something like that this is saying to the almighty God of the universe who has provided this food miraculously for you and you're gonna say we detest this not a good move verse six then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them And they bit the people, and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. And so Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Does that seem like a weird story to anybody else in Scripture? And can I be very honest with you about something? I hate snakes. Okay, can I get an amen? I hate snakes. I don't ever want to see a movie about this story, you know. Uh, how many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ? Have you seen that movie? And, and how, how Jesus is praying in, in the Garden of Gethsemane and that opening scene, the snake's crawling around on the ground of the garden and Jesus is praying and then he gets up and he steps, he crushes the snake. Remember that? I know it was symbolism. We talked about that last week from Genesis 3.15. That's where that fit in. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you'll strike his heel. That's what the scene in that movie was about. But I would have been okay if that scene hadn't made it into the movie, right? And, and then there's, has anybody seen the movie Snakes on a Plane? Right? And so I don't like to, I haven't seen it, and I'm not going to because I don't like to fly, number one, and I hate snakes, and they take both of these and they put them together in one, and I hate that, and that has nothing to do with anything, but I'm just sharing with you this morning, okay? I've got some issues in my own life, all right? And, and so I can imagine that, that, that if I hate snakes, and a lot of you hate snakes, I can imagine these Israelites are wandering through the desert, and they hate snakes, and these aren't just any snakes, these are venomous snakes that could take their lives. And, and the, the Israelites are coming to the end of their 40-year journey, and it hadn't been a smooth journey at all. It had been very difficult. It was filled with multiple rebellions. And then because of the rebellion, there were corresponding consequences to their rebellion. And when you look at it, the nation of Israel, really, they were a very whiny bunch of people, right? From the very beginning. They're, they're just whining. They're complaining about everything. And, and, and the children of Israel, they're getting ready to reach the place that God had promised them, the promised land. Finally, they're almost home, and, and, and they're, they're almost to the promised land. And, and these Israelites are so thick-headed, though. And I'm not like any of us today. We'd never be thick-headed like that. And, and, and so when it comes to the discipline of God, they're so thick-headed that, that they just basically... 
I don't know, it was almost like they were following instructions on, like you would on a shampoo bottle. You know, it's like, okay, I know if I sin, then I can be forgiven. It's almost like, okay, you, 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 uh, you wash, you rinse, you repeat. You wash, you rinse, re- you repeat. You wash, you rinse, you repeat, right? And this is what the Israelites were doing. They would disobey. They would suffer the consequence. Then they would repent. They would disobey. They would suffer the consequence. And they would repent. Disobey. Consequence. Repent. And this was the cycle that they were on. They just kept doing this. And chapter 21 begins with this skirmish between the Israelites and the Canaanites. And Israel didn't start the fight, but they certainly finished it. The Canaanites had attacked them. The Israelites beat them. And now the nation comes to the the border of Edom, and the Edomites were distant relatives of Israel, but the Edomite land was not the promised land, right? And so verse 4 tells us that they went around Edom. They went around the Edomite territory. And going around the territory takes a lot longer than going through the territory. So guess what happens as they're taking all of this time to go around Edom? Yep. They start whining. They start complaining. I don't know if any of... Some of our families are on spring break right now and they might be traveling. You got any kids in the car that by the time you got to see more, they're saying, are we there yet? Have you been there? You know? And, and, and so this is kind of... I can kind of envision this. You've got whiny kids in the back of the caravan... At, you know, but, but we've got whiny adults, too, that are in the caravan. And twice before, the na- you'd think they'd learn their lesson. Twice before, the nation of Israel is complaining about food and water. Actually, it's part of what got Moses kicked out of going to the promised land because of the people's complaining about water. Remember that story? Moses struck the rock. He's angry. He strikes the, ro- strikes the rock. God said, I want you to speak to the rock. Instead, he strikes the rock, and it cost him his trip to the promised land. But it's an example of when we don't do what God asks us to do, there are consequences. When we rebel against what God is saying to us and don't do what he's asking, there's always something that we're going to suffer. It costs Moses his trip to the promised land. And we cannot escape the reality that sin has consequences. And that's the first point of our sermon today. There are consequences to our sin. I think that there are people who go through life who really don't understand the consequences to sin. And some of the consequences are immediate consequences. Some have more collateral damage than others. Some we don't see the consequences until later down the road. There are some sins that seem to do more damage to other people than it does to the person who's committing the sin. But sin hurts. It always has consequences. And it hurts us in a few different ways. The first is physically. When we sin against God, it it causes this internal conflict with God and us. And it it can actually start leading to health issues. If you're dealing with sin in your life and, and you've got this struggle going on, it can actually take a toll on your body. And depending on the sin that you battle with, it can affect All sorts of things. It can affect blood pressure, sleeping patterns. It can destruct your body. might depend on the lifestyle of or the the type of sin that you're participating in. It can also have emotional consequences. The Bible tells us that walking the wide road or the easy way, it can lead to destruction. 
And this goes beyond physical death. This is a spiritual death. This is, this is where you get to this point where you're just empty, where you're hopeless, where you're broken, like where we see so many people in our world today. I think many people go down this path towards sin because they're hoping that it's going to fulfill them emotionally only to discover that it, it can't. No. And, then, and then many people experience guilt and depression. It even leads to some people being so broken and depressed that they take their own life or at least think about it. And then there's the spiritual consequence Right? I think that's the one that most of us understand the best. You know? Sin breaks off our relationship with God. Right? You know, we talked about that last week. Adam and Eve you know, uh, had perfect fellowship with God until sin entered the world. And, uh, and that relationship was broken. And then people start to feel bad about it. When, when, when we're in sin, we start to feel bad about what we've done. And then because we feel so bad, we feel like we can't turn back to God or we're not going to turn to God in the first place because he'll never forgive me for the awful sin that I've committed. I, I want you to consider for just a second. I want you to take a second and consider the cost of sin. Because I want to tell you that there is no sin in this world that is worth the consequences that will follow. And in this story, in the book of Numbers, these people simply could not stop rebelling against God. They worshipped idols. They complained about water. They complained about manna. They complained about Moses. They complained about water again. They complained about Moses again and again and again. And here they are. They're complaining about manna and water. And again, at every possible turn, they're ungrateful for the, to the God who had delivered them from slavery. And they start to show contempt for the very one who had brought them to this point. And they question. And not only did they question, they opposed what God was doing. Can you imagine? They opposed what God was clearly doing. They wanted to go back to Egypt even after 40 years of freedom. They wanted to go back. Instead of being God's special, chosen, set-apart people, they wanted slavery over that. How in the world could they want that? How in the world can they keep rebelling against God like that? An equally important question is how can we? Because it's tempting for us to look at the Israelites and say, oh man, they were so stupid. How could they be so stupid to want to go back to slavery? But we do it every single time we sin. We're slaves to sin. By continuing to do the same things over and over and over again. You say, well, the Israelites were dumb for choosing slavery over freedom. We do the same thing. So, yeah, but, you know, they're dead. We can talk about them. You know, that's a, they're, they're a part of history. That's different. No. We're not all that different than the Israelites who are wandering around in the desert. In fact, from Israel's story, we're reminded of a foundational biblical truth about humanity. 
And it's this. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone who has ever walked the face of the earth other than Jesus Christ has sinned. And that's the second point to our message this morning. White people, black people, all shades of people, rich people, poor people, Christian people, non-Christian people, we've all sinned and fallen short of His glory. You sin, I sin, our children sin. It's been said that there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. Let's add a third to that. Sin. Right? And the Bible tells us this in several different places. 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. Isaiah 53, 6, as Mike mentioned earlier in his communion meditation, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. Isn't that what the Israelites were doing? They didn't want it God's way. They wanted to go their own way. And we do the same thing. We've each turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Right? That's what God did for us. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of His glory. The Israelites were terrible sinners. But so are we. We're thirsty but yet we don't like what God provides for us. We're hungry. We don't like what he gives us to eat. Well, I've got a clear path for you. This is what I want you to do. I've told you this in scripture. This is what you're to do. And yet we would rather go all the way around, eat them, <laughs> instead of doing what God wants us to do. We get the sin and consequence thing. Right? I mean, we all understand that. But this time, we read, we read this strange episode about snakes. Snakes are biting people, and the people are dying. They're in this shampoo cycle again, right? Sin, consequence, repent. And repent is what they did. When the snakes started biting, like, oh, okay, I better straighten up, right? I'd probably do the same thing. People came to Moses and said, we've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. And so Moses prayed for the people and the, pit, the people of Israel gave no thought to their actions or they gave no thought to the consequences of their actions before they acted. How many times do we do that? Right? How many of you have ever made a hasty decision and then regretted it? How many of you, before you sin, you sit down and you map out what the consequences of that sin is before you ever do it? Probably not very often because if you sat down and you mapped out the consequences of the sin you're about to commit, you would never do it. So here is what's happening. The, the Israelites are on the verge of a, a major season of blessing. They're almost into the promised land. But instead of receiving this blessing with joy, instead of worshiping and rejoicing and getting excited because they're about to go into the promised land, they're reeling from the consequences of their sin. Their sin was literally killing them. And that's what sin does. Their sin killed them. Our sin will kill us. Thankfully, God is a God of life who doesn't forget His covenant. And they cried out to God. The children of Israel cried out to God and God heard their cry. And so when they were bitten by 
their own sin, God answered and saved his people, but not in a way that we would expect. God told Moses to make a bronze snake and put it on a pole, and everyone who looks at the bronze snake will live. Again, really weird story. To me, that doesn't sound like something God would do. That sounds a little more like idolatry to me, almost like witchcraft, voodoo, something kind of crazy like that. And really, in time, that snake on a pole did become an idol to some of the people, so much so that a king by the name of Hezekiah would have it destroyed. So why did God do this? Why did God put this snake on a pole? Well, maybe it was because bronze was a symbol for judgment, I understand. Or maybe uh, the snake is a symbol for evil in the Bible. Again, it was a snake in the Garden of Eden that tempted Adam and Eve. Others suggested that putting the snake on a pole forced the people to face their own sinfulness. But I think it's something much more profound than that. It forced the people to trust God. It forced the people to do something that God told them to do that maybe they didn't completely understand. Right? Do something that maybe just don't quite get the whole thing. And, and the bronze snake was not going to save them. Believing what God had said is what was going to save them. There was nothing magical about the bronze snake that they would look at and go, okay, this is great, I'm going to live now. What they needed to understand was that when their wound was fatal, they needed to turn to God and He's the only one that could heal them. When they're broken and bruised and battered, the only place they could go was to God. And the same is true for us when we're broken, when we're bruised, when we're battered. The only place we can go is to God because God is the one who remembers his covenant and he saves his people. And that's what he's saying to us a few thousand years later. We read this story in Numbers and we look at the cross today. We understand that Jesus is the remedy for our sin. As we jump ahead into John's gospel, chapter 3, several hundreds of years later, after this strange episode, a Pharisee came to Jesus in the middle of the night. His name was Nicodemus. Pharisees, these self-righteous Jews, right? They're certain of their own goodness, and they're going to earn their way to heaven. But Nicodemus knew that something wasn't quite right about that. All this self-righteousness, this can't be the way that it is. And so he slips in to see Jesus in the middle of the night so his Pharisee buddies wouldn't know that he was doing what he was doing. And so he's having this conversation, Nicodemus. And Jesus are talking. Jesus brings up this episode of what happened in Numbers 21. I can just kind of imagine Jesus and Nicodemus sitting in this tent at night, and Jesus says, Nick, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. I understand that to treat snake bites, doctors use a cure that is called antivenom or antivenin, technically. And to create this antivenin, the venom is milk from the snakes 
and then it's injected in very small quantities into a horse or into some other animal, and the injected animal will have an immune response to the venom, producing antibodies against the venom's active molecule, which can then be used to treat people bitten by snakes. Right? I had to read that. I didn't know that myself. Right? Isn't it ironic that for us to have a cure for poison... An animal has to be poisoned. That's essentially what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. The Son of Man is the antivenin. And in the same way that the bronze snake was lifted up in the wilderness, Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And just like seeing, just looking at the bronze snake didn't cure them, just Knowing about Jesus on the cross doesn't save us either. Just knowing about it. There were a lot of people in Jesus' day who saw him hanging on the cross. They saw it happening with their own eyes, yet they didn't believe. When the Israelites looked up at that snake, they were looking up with a desperate faith in God, trusting him to come through for them. They knew that they were unable to cure themselves in their own condition and they had to believe that God would save them, that God had the power to heal them of what was going on in their lives. And that's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. When we look at Jesus and we believe that He has the power to save us from our sin, we repent of our sins and we're baptized into Him. The Bible says we enter into a new covenant with Him. And the cross becomes the symbol of that covenant of God's promise. Right? Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. God laid the sin of the world that's your sin and that's my sin. Every sin we've ever committed, as Mike said, past, present, future. God laid those sins on His one and only Son. And He was nailed to a wooden cross. And He was raised up high for the world to see. And so we see this image of our sin meeting God's wrath and God's son is hanging there, dead. Forsaken by his father. Cursed in our place. That's not what you'd expect from a loving God, is it? Say, Man, that's hard, that's rough. That doesn't, that doesn't make much sense. Just like it didn't make much sense to put a snake on a pole out in the desert to be saved doesn't make much sense that God would send his own, that he would love us so much that he would send his one and only die, one and only son to die for us. And because it doesn't make sense to some people, some people turn away. Because they don't understand it, they just, they won't trust in the only thing that can truly save them. Here's something that we need to remember this morning, folks. 
The Bible never says that the snakes stopped biting the Israelites in the wilderness. You ever notice that? Wouldn't it be nice if the story would have been, all right, the snake was raised up and, and everybody was healed and the snakes stopped biting? No. We need to understand that just because we've come to Christ and just because we've looked at the cross, we're still going to live with the consequence of sin in a hurting world. That's, people ask me all the time uh, that, who are struggling with their faith, well, well why, how does God allow so much sin in the world? How does he allow hurt people uh, in the world, good people to be hurt? Why does he allow nut jobs like Putin to do what he's doing in the Ukraine? It's because there's sin. Just like the snakes kept biting in the wilderness, sin keeps happening in our world because God has given us this beautiful thing called free will, but this beautiful thing that he's given us, some people don't, don't do the right thing with it. Right? And so we as Christians, we need to daily continue to look at the cross. Take up your cross daily and follow him. And as we continue to do that on a daily basis, the sin in our lives will diminish. It'll never completely go away until we're at home with him. But it will diminish. It'll get less and less in your own personal life. We're still going to see it in others, I guarantee you. But as, as a believer in Jesus, we need to understand that forgiveness isn't a one-time event. It's a daily thing. It's a lifelong process. John Fisher, in his book, On a Hill Too Far Away, tells of a church in Connecticut. And there's a one-of-a-kind cross in that church. And the cross itself isn't really all that unique. What's unique about it is where the cross is positioned in their sanctuary. The cross isn't behind the preacher up on the stage. The cross in this church is bolted to the floor right in front of what they call their, their, their pulpit altar area. And the cross in this church is bolted into a concrete floor right in the middle of the aisle. And it's between the pews and the altar. And it's an obstruction for people to have to look through to see the preacher. And the reason they did this is because they, in their minds, everything that the preacher says needs to pass through the cross. And everything that the congregation is looking at and seeing also has to pass through the cross. And so what they're saying is they want all of their worship to be focused on the cross going both ways and even up to him. And this is the way we need to live our lives. We need to live our lives with this imaginary cross that's bolted in front of us everywhere that we go. Or maybe if we had cross glasses, there's an idea. Maybe if we had cross glasses that would look weird. But if we could just view everything through the shadow of the cross, it would change so much. When we look at our family, we see them through the cross. When we look at our job, we see them through the cross. When we look at what we're doing in the church, we see it through the cross. Everything that we do, we need to see as an opportunity to serve the Lord who died on the cross for our sins. We can never take that for granted. The cross is our symbol of the God who never forgets His covenant.
And maybe you're here today and you've never entered into that covenant. You've never confessed Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. You've not repented of the sin that's in your life. You've not been baptized into Him. That's where it starts. If you need to do that today, we're going to offer a song of decision. We encourage you to come during this song. If you're in the service today, just come to the front. If you're watching online and, 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 and you want to reach out and And talk to someone, you're ready to make this decision, or you want to talk more about it, would you text the word READY to our church connection number that's on the screen? Maybe if you're in the service today and you just don't want to come forward, but you want to talk, you can can do the same thing. You can text the word READY to this number. We'd love to reach out and talk to you. But maybe there's some of you out there who have entered into this covenant with God, but you've forgotten your part of the covenant. You haven't lived up to what you said you were going to do when you gave your life to Him. I'm going to encourage you to repent of that. To spend some time talking to God today, apologizing to Him for not holding up your end. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. and um, If you're here today and you need to make a public decision, we encourage you to just come on up. Maybe you just need prayer today. Spencer's going to lead us in a song, and and we encourage you to we encourage you to come. Let's pray together.